Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Money FM 89.3. Uh, we will take a look at quite a few things today on Market View, including China's latest export numbers. Uh, but for now, let's uh, get a quick recap of how we started the day. Right. So Singapore shares started today on the muted, slightly positive note following overnight gains on Wall Street and in Europe. So in early trade, the Straits Times Index was up 0.04% to 3,191 points after some 33 million securities Change tense in the broader market. Now, off to the closing numbers, we do see the Straits Times Index giving up gains. It closed in the red down 0.33% at 3,179 points. In terms of value turnover, that's 948 million Sing dollars. Now, gainers outnumbered losers, though, 255 versus 247. Top advances for today Hilek, New Incorporation, USD, and Venture Corp, and top decliners, Jardin Cycle and Carriage. DBS and GMHUSD. Now, aside from what's happening in Singapore, investors continue to keep their eyes on a number of key developments in the region, including China's latest export numbers and the impact on its high-tech industries. We'll also take a look at whether the People's Bank of China will reduce interest rates to spur the economy, as well as expectations for the next monetary policy move by the US Fed. And joining us as we unpack all of these is uh, Kun Go, Head of Asia Research at ANZ. Kun, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to have you on board. And Kun, let's start with the Singapore stock market as usual. How did the STI fare today? Any surprises when it comes to the biggest movers and the sectors they are in? Well, the STI was down 0.3%, as you mentioned, and really underperformed uh, the other regional bosses. Uh, really failed to get much uh, momentum from the positive close in the U.S. Uh, in terms of you know the various performers, I think it was mixed overall. There was no real uh, standout. Uh, digital core REIT. I guess, uh, pop 10%. Uh, this is following the announcement that one of their major tenants have gone bankrupt. So mm. quite interesting that the stock managed to gain despite that negative news. Yeah, it couldn't. Um, let's uh, stay with Singapore a bit. There was a Bloomberg report suggesting that Singapore banks are flush with deposits with few options to deployment amid a, a tepid lending environment. I'm sure you've been reading a lot about this. Uh, it also cited how DBS has lent the country's central bank $30 billion as it's not finding enough opportunities to put the money to work. Uh, interesting thoughts here. W- what do you make of all of this? Well, it's not surprising. We do know that there's been a lot of money that's been attracted to Singapore and a lot of that has found its way into uh, the banking system. Uh, Now, lending growth has been somewhat tepid because of the uncertain external environment. A lot of corporates, of course, are also flush with cash, so it's not like they are needing to borrow a lot of money. Uh, And with the housing market, you know, our house prices are still firm. Uh, transaction sales have actually cooled down. So the banks have a situation where they have access to plus uh, cash because of the, all the deposits. Uh, they're not really able to lend uh, because the demand is not quite there. So one of the things they can do is just place it with the MES. Uh, and I should note yeah. it's not lending to the MES. It's yeah. not like the MES needs money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's more placing the surplus funds so that the banks can at least earn some interest 
on those surplus cash. Kung, uh, let's have a look at China's export. They tumbled in May, 7.5% year-on-year. That's the biggest decline since January after the 8.5% growth uh, for the month of April. Are you concerned about this, about China's recovery after the pandemic? Yeah, well, China's uh, rebound has suddenly hit a bit of a brick wall all of a sudden. Now, the decline in the export numbers is not surprising. Uh, China's exports have been holding up quite well, but I think a lot of that is just trying to clear through the backlogs as a result of the disruptions from last year. Uh, And China's exports are pretty much uh, in line now with the other weak uh, exports that we've seen from the rest of the region. Mm. Uh, I think at this point, while there are increasing concerns about uh, the recent disappointing economic data, uh, it's important to note that the uh, domestic spending has actually perked up. Uh, retail sales trend growth is back towards, uh, you know, back to close to pre-pandemic trend. So domestically, Chinese consumers are spending. It's just that you have continued weakness in manufacturing and particularly in the property sector. Uh, and that's really what's holding back uh, a broader recovery at this stage. Mm. But Kun, I was just looking at the export performance and the import numbers. It seems like the weaker import performance also reflect weak demand for Chinese goods because uh, China typically bring in parts from abroad to assemble finished products and then export it out again. And the fact that last week we just have South Korean data showing shipments to China slid 20.8% in May uh, with Korean semiconductor exports down 36.2%. What bearing would this have on China's high-tech and booming AI industries then? Well, this is a reflection of the fact that the um, property sector is weak, so they're not really importing as much materials for construction. And with the manufacturing and the exports now in decline, uh, they're not really needing to uh, bring in as much uh, intermediate inputs. So that's really having a a negative spillover effect into the rest of the region's uh, exports as well. In terms of the semiconductors, I think in terms of you know what's happening in China, uh, yes, there is some near-term um, you know, hiccups happening there. But uh, I think with the broader uh, semiconductor and AI-related uh, export performance, I do anticipate there to be a pickup later in the year. I think we're starting to see signs that the global semiconductor cycle has bottomed. Mm. Uh, it's starting to pick up. And, you know, following the positive guidance from NVIDIA, for example, I'm sure that we should start to see some of that being reflected in uh, the semiconductor exports, uh, particularly from uh, Taiwan and Korea in the coming months. Mm. If you're just tuning in, we're now speaking to Kun Go, Head of Asia Research at ANZ. And Kun, I, I know you do focus on currencies as well. The Australian dollar, which is a commodity currency that's highly sensitive to swings in Chinese demand, uh, that fell after the trade data. What does it signal about the market sentiment on Chinese industries looking ahead? Yeah, so Aussie is uh, you know, seen as a proxy play on, on China. And when the Trade numbers came out uh, on the disappointing side. We did see the Aussie come off uh, slightly, but they have since recovered. And while Australia will continue to be, or the Australian currency will continue to be sensitive to the Chinese data, uh, it has provided, it has gotten quite a lot of support from the surprise rate hike from uh, the RBA earlier mm. in the week. Uh, so we've actually seen the uh, Aussie uh, recover quite strongly uh, as a result of that. Yeah, and okay, back to China just a bit, uh, Kun. Traders are keeping tabs on the country because reports said authorities have asked the country's biggest banks to lower their deposit rates and boost the economy. What are the chances of 
the People's Bank of China then lowering interest rates as well. Hmm. So we expect the People's Bank of China to cut the triple R in order to um, spur further lending from the banks. Hmm. In terms of the actual policy rate cut, I believe that the People's Bank of China will hold off uh, an outright rate cut. Uh, that's mainly because they don't really want to put further pressure on the Chinese yuan. But effectively, what they've done is they've basically you know, guided the, the mortgage rates and deposit rates lower by basically telling the major banks to, to push their rates down. That's an effective easing anyway. Uh, so mm. you know they don't really need to um, you know push down the actual uh, policy rate. They are basically effectively already guiding down uh, effective interest rates, uh, which is the same as uh, basically easing policy. Mm, and speaking of interest rates, one quick one before we let you go, Kun. Investors, global investors, holding on to hope that the US Fed will hold interest rates steady this month. Your thoughts on where rates are going to go for the next two meetings? Are we going to hold off and hike rates again? Uh, I believe that the Fed will probably uh, need to hike um, one more time or maybe at most two more times. And that's because the US economy has has been remarkably resilient uh, despite 500 basis points mm-hmm. of rate hikes. Uh, the labor market is still extremely tight. Um, you know, all these recession calls keep getting pushed out. Uh, and inflation is still, you know, somewhat elevated, even though yep. it's come down. So I think the Fed probably feels uh, their job is not quite done. Now, having said that, uh, I think for the meeting next week, mm-hmm. uh, the, the hint that they're giving is that they'll give that meeting a skip, as uh-huh. in they're not going to hike next week, and they're just going to assess how things are. But mm-hmm. I think they'll be uh, pre- preparing to uh, hike uh, potentially in July, especially if the inflation numbers still mm-hmm. come out sticky. I guess the work is still not done yet. Uh, thanks a lot, Kun. That was Kun Go, head of Asia Research at ANZ. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Thank you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.